Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 182. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Michael Jakewith is new to the Cantankerous Catholic. He's become a great friend of mine and to this apostolate. He's also a Catholic life coach, a concept that's brand new to me. If you're taking any prescription medication to control diabetes, or even pre-diabetes, new studies from Italy and New Zealand show that type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes can be managed or possibly even reversed if you know how. While most medications can keep the symptoms of diabetes at bay, they don't actually treat the root cause of the problem. So before you resign yourself to being hooked on medication for life, you've got to see a video about Glucofort. The link is in my show notes. I've been taking Glucofort for two months and it's had a dramatic effect on my blood sugar number. My primary care physician is amazed. 
So do what I did. Watch the video, then order the package of all-natural glucofort that's right for you by clicking the glucofort link in my show notes. Michael J. Quith and I met through a platform called Podmatch that helps podcasters find new and different guests for their shows. I hadn't had too much luck with the platform until I met Michael. He and I had some good chemistry immediately. Like me, he's an adult convert. Also like me, he didn't have a great childhood. Unlike me, he's got a doctorate degree in chemical engineering. He's a lot smarter and better educated than I am, but he's humble enough to not make me feel outclassed. Michael is a self-described Catholic life coach. If you think anything like I do, you'll automatically be cautious of something like this in the Catholic world. But I think you'll come to realize, as I did, that Michael is the real thing. Because I owe you the best I can ever give you, I didn't invite Michael for an interview based on a few emails. I wanted to get to know him first and ask a few questions. I also wanted to make certain that he was absolutely 100% orthodox. So we met and chatted for quite a long time, in addition to exchanging a number of emails. I'm going to play the interview for you now, then I'll return with a few closing comments. Michael Jakewith, welcome to the Cantankerous Catholic. How are you today, buddy? I am doing awesome. I'm so blessed. We live up in, I live up in northern Idaho, and at the time of recording, we're just finally starting to get some warm weather coming on in, and it warms the heart after the long cold of winter. Oh, tell me about it. Uh, Michael, six-pack warriors probably never heard of you. Now, I had a very pleasant and enjoyable conversation with you a few weeks ago. Tell the six-pack warriors a bit about who you are, a bit about your story, and help them to feel as comfortable as whenever I talk to you. Well, thank you so much for that invitation. Let me kind of set the stage. I was born in a very poor, relatively abusive household that grew up, not a lot of faith, not a lot of religion, nominally Protestant, right? My father went to jail when I was in sixth grade for 10 years after the abusive part got even more out of control. And then I kind of went off into the world with this chip on my shoulder, this agenda of, I'm going to change it, not be like this. And at first, I thought I could do it all myself because, of course, you know, I'm awesome. And then, of course, reality comes along and kind of has this way of saying, you're so sure about that. And when I was 22, after 12 years of arguing against it, I finally converted to become a Catholic. And I convert, and I thought, again, cool, I fixed the problem, now I'm good to go, right? And so I get married a year after that, we begin having children. My wife, she's a saint in training, we now have six children. But at the time, we had our first child. And I remember discovering in myself these tendencies that, oh my goodness, I'm kind of like my dad. And that was not a flattering thing to think. And so... <laughs> You know, I'm here, I'm in the church, I'm immersed in the sacraments, but I have to admit, you know, and I think a lot of listeners might connect with that. I was kind of going through the motions some, right? You know, I hadn't really dug in to understand my faith, this rich transition had been handed to me. And so I took it as a mission to say, look, something's not right. I'm not going to be my dad. I'm not going to give in to anger. I'm not going to give in to lust. I need to conquer this part of myself. And so I launched on what was basically a decade of really, really for serious growth, exploration, reading, reading scripture, 
I had to learn how to read scripture because it turns out it's not easy. Don't just open the Bible and read. You get stuck somewhere in Leviticus with some goat doing something in the desert. And you're like, I don't know what's going on, right? <laughs> That's true. And so my story keeps going along and I start discovering all these different ways of helping. And along the way, I discovered this idea of life coaching. And at the time, I'm working for this research position. I have a PhD in chemistry. I'm working research for semiconductors, big, well-paying job, golden handcuffs, all that kind of stuff, right? And God, in his ever so gentle way, the two by four to the head for me, calls <laughs> me to leave behind the golden handcuffs and become entrepreneurial. Now, I should make a note there. I am not entrepreneurial material. Like, if you've ever seen the, the movie about St. Thomas More, when, you know, he's talking to Martyrs, he says, this is not the stuff of martyrs. Like, I, I can tell you, right. this is not the stuff of entrepreneurs. Like, I choose the safety of the corporate world, right? Well, yet again, God had a different plan. And, and gently and lovingly, two by four to the head style, walked me into this life of being what I do now, which is a life coach. And I have to tell you, it is the best thing that could ever have happened. As, as always with God's plans, it's the best. And I get to help guys in all different walks of life, wherever they're stuck, to get unstuck, to find their purpose, to find the freedom to become the man that God's calling them to be. And it's phenomenal. And so that's that's kind of where I am now. I am Michael Jaquith, PhD and life coach all together and very devout conservative Catholic. Amen. You know, for our listeners, I'll refresh I really had no idea whenever we talked before what a life coach is, and I certainly couldn't imagine a life coach in the church. I mean, you know, the best life coach is Jesus himself. <laughs> Amen to that. And then, of course, many of us have spiritual directors, and I figure, okay, that's a Catholic life coach. But then I uh, kind of examine things a little more deeply and I'm impressed with the work you do. I really am. Michael, modern Catholic men have more problems today than at any other time. When I was a kid, a man just worked and took care of his family. Uh, so my generation grew up as a family. We didn't know what divorce was. Then my generation came of age. <laughs> and all sorts of new problems are popping up. We suddenly found ourselves in a sexual revolution. We rebelled against authority, and it was harder to make a living and support a family than ever. Uh, then along came the Internet and its pornography at the same time that God had been completely banished from public life and the gay rights movement made its greatest advancements. Let's focus for a moment on gay rights and the sexual confusion men face today because of the gay rights uh, agenda and propaganda. Is this the sort of problem you help men with? If so, tell us about the effects this has had on masculinity. Absolutely. This is, we are in such a crisis of understanding what does healthy male sexuality look like? And I think the, you, you cite a number of tremendous examples there. And I, I want to maybe, I'll say, summarize these by saying, I think what the devil has done is gotten us to look away from what is the virtuous expression of male sexuality. I, I suspect most men, if I sat down and say, in what way is your sexuality a gift of God and good and holy? Most of them would struggle to answer because our society focuses so much on the perversions, on the sinful twisting of our sexuality, and has lost sight of that which is the masculine genius. And I, I, I applaud the work to no end of the popes who brought forth the idea of the feminine genius. And indeed, that was much needed 
and our understanding of the dynamics of the sexes. But I think our culture has now gotten to a spot we've not only lost sight of, we've even forgotten that there is such a thing as the masculine genius. So to bring this home, absolutely. This is the sort of problem I help men with all the time. You know, we live in a reality right now that most men suffer from some form of sexual addiction, sexual frustration, sexual twisting, something there. And the reason why is we have almost nothing holy and virtuous to look to as a guide. Point to me one person in Hollywood in our movies, or heaven forbid, in Washington, D.C., and our politicians, or even our bishops, where we can say, yeah, that's what I'm aiming for. That's the holiness. That's the purity. We don't have that opportunity. And so as a result, we're kind of stuck and left rudderless, and the Satan comes along, and we're easy prey to pick off. And I help men all the time who are stuck doing stuff that they end up hating themselves for. And that's where I think the best part of life coaching comes in. Because here's how this happens. Here, take a guy. I'm going to call him Bob. And Bob could be you, it could be me, it could be any one of dozens of guys that I've worked with. And Bob's addicted to pornography, or Bob's having an affair, or Bob's addicted to the same sex encounters, whatever it is, it almost doesn't matter. Because in each case, as a Catholic, Bob goes through the same cycle. Bob acts out. Bob looks back at his life and says, oh my gosh, I'm the most horrible person of all time. I can't believe I did this. I'm so disgusting. I'm so wretched. And he feels so bad, he turns right back to the only thing that brings relief, which is to act out again. And we don't break this cycle by shaming ourselves, by beating ourselves down, by calling ourselves names. We, we call the action a sin that's a sin. I don't ever want to mince words. When you commit or I commit an action that's wrong, it's a sin. But I'm still at the same time a beloved child of God. And that's where the devil works his hook in, is he's able to get into those little cracks and say, see, you did this thing that you know is wrong, and therefore now you are bad. And the most powerful part of life coaching is when I am able to help them separate those two facts, to hold up the goodness of God, to embrace the freedom that comes from confession. So many of us, we go to confession and we don't cling to what that freedom is. I mean, my goodness. Throughout all of time, people wish they could have the freedom that we are just given every week, every day, if needed, through the sacrament of confession. And so, yes, absolutely, I do help a lot of guys with these sort of issues because it's so common. That's great. You know, I you're talking about confession. Very few people go anymore. Sadly true. And uh, that's one thing that I frequently promote on the show. Uh, and I'll tell you quickly about, you know, you referenced the freedom of confession for about 25 years. I worked in prison apostolate and whenever the priest would come every two weeks, I'd sit back and I would watch the men and one at a time, they drag themselves up there to confession. Almost every time their shoulders were stooped, they're dragging their feet. They get up there to the confessional. When they came out, they've got a spring in their step. They've got a smile on their face. That is liberty. You can tell that they achieved liberty when they heard, I absolve you of your sins. I mean, that, that, you know, that confession is genuinely liberating. Michael, uh, go ahead. No, please go ahead. One of my theories is that modern science and modern psychology is ever so slowly rediscovering the truth the Catholic Church knew from the beginning. And when I look at serotonin and the role that serotonin plays in our total 
makeup and how we present to the world, the role it plays in dominance hierarchies and all that. And I look at that in comparison to confession. Confession is by far the most effective way to modulate your neurochemical makeup because it alters the fundamental metaphysics of reality. And so you walk out and in that moment, when you're exiting the confessional, the science of psychology and theology all agree. And that freedom that you have there is real. That's not just something in your head. There are different neurochemicals in your brain affected by that sacrament. And so we need to, as Catholics, embrace the power of that. It's not just some I, I would never call it this. We'd be like, I think our accusers might say some mystic thing we do that doesn't matter. No, there's real power there, both theological and practical scientific power there. You can see it so easily and it's so great. Absolutely. Sometimes you have to drag yourself into the confessional as the beaten little boy. Yep. And you come out the liberated man. Absolutely. I mean, I love confession. I wish I could go every week. Unfortunately, we're homebound, so we have to depend on Father every two weeks. But uh, I I can't say enough about confession. Michael, most people today just shack up and don't even bother with marriage. Uh, society perceives and promotes that as freedom. Does this place additional pressures on the few marriages that we have today? Oh, absolutely. Let's let's call a spade a spade. It has never been harder to be married than right now. Marriage has always been hard, and we just need to be very open about that. The purpose of marriage is not to have a good time. It's not a party. It's not to have sex that you don't have to confess. The purpose of marriage is to grow in holiness. And I'll give you a warning, that's not comfortable. And so marriage has always been painful. And anyone who enters into marriage expecting easy roller street, well, it's a good thing God loves you enough that he'll take care of you anyways. But today, there's so many additional challenges because of the you know cultural expectations that the norm is just to live together. The pressure on marriage is even greater. Uh, let me actually give a great example that kind of highlights this. It's a slight parallel. Right after I converted and I met my wife, she was Protestant. And after a minute to discernment, she decided to become Catholic as an act of faith based because she felt God told her not to have a divided household. And, but one of the hardest teachings for her to accept of the Catholic Church was contraception, okay? <laughs> and this is a hard teaching for someone coming from the Protestant world. And I was so sure that I would just send her off to the Catholic moms group at our local parish, and she would have that value reaffirmed. And I cannot tell you the depth of the heartbreak I had when she comes home that day, and she said, Michael, what are you talking about? Of the 20 women there, when asked who was on contraception, every single woman raised her hand except for me and one other. Clearly, this is not a Catholic thing. And I say this because we have to understand, I'm not trying to in any way undermine the, the validity of the church's teaching on contraception here. I believe it to be the truth. But we have to understand the pressure upon marriage to conform to worldly expectations is at a level now that it's never been before. Throughout most of known Christendom, the value of marriage, the value of children, the value of family has been placed societally as one of the top values. And now it doesn't even make the top 10 for our society. It just doesn't. And so because of that, I think there's a certain amount of mercy that we need to show to the people, never never compromising on what is true and right and good, but mercy to show and love the married couples around us that they are in the spot, they are in the crosshairs, and it is a hard time right now to be married. Yeah, you know, you talked about one of the purposes of marriage being to grow in holiness. 
I don't think most people understand why this is the only sacrament that Jesus established that doesn't require a priest, it doesn't mm-hmm. require a bishop, it doesn't require a deacon, it doesn't even require an outside person at all. The sacrament is administered to the spouses by the spouses. There's a reason for that. It's so they can each grow in holiness. The husband helps the wife, the wife helps the husband, and uh, the kids absolutely help both (laughs) parents. (laughs) Perhaps a bit more than we might like sometimes. Yes. But I'll tell you what, they're such a joy, especially when they are. Michael, what's the number one problem men ask for your help with today? I I think most of the time, men don't know what they're asking for help. And when we boil it down, the number one most common problem is a sense of identity. The sense of who am I? Am I good enough? They don't come asking this question because most of us don't even know that's a question to be asked. But here's how it manifests. It manifests like... Oh, I'm just never quite good enough. I'm not the same as my dad. He was a great dad. I have a great father. Why am I upset about this? But I'm always falling behind. And so I'm always rushing. I'm always anxious. I'm always struggling. I can't seem to get ahead in life. I'm just fighting everything because nothing feels right. It turns out deep, deep, deep down is that little boy living in your heart is still saying, what does it mean to be a man? Am I a man? Have I done enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough to be loved? And it's so hard because our Lord stands at the door knocking begging us to let us to let us receive his love. But we can block that when we have this twisted sense of identity. And this twisted sense of identity can manifest. It can manifest in pornography, manifest in alcohol. When we don't know that we are loved by the Lord, that we have our own two feet to stand on, it can be a man, even if we're a different man than our, do- than our dad or whatever great male role model we happen to have. When we don't have that confidence and, and the sure foundation of the divine love, then we end up desperately trying to grab anything in the world to bring comfort from the tra- terrifying notion that we might not be enough. And so if I boil it down, I think that's probably the most common thing I help guys with. Okay, that and that actually answered my next question. So <laughs> we can skip on to the next one. This is Gay Pride Month an attack on the sacred heart of Jesus' masculinity, which is why the Cantankerous Catholic declared this month Toxic Male Month. What have the LGBT and radical feminist movements done to American men, particularly Catholics, and how can modern Catholic men reclaim their God-given masculinity and sense of self-worth as men? So this is such a great question for our time. I think that I mentioned earlier the sense that we've lost of masculine genius. And I think when the LGBTQ stuff comes up, it highlights that loss most succinctly. Here's what it is. When a man doesn't know what it is to be a man, how do you be a strong man? Like, is a strong man Arnold Schwarzenegger? Is that what it means to be a strong man? Or is a, is a good husband Homer Simpson who just lets his wife run everything? We don't have a role model here. And in that absence, we turn to anything. And so you ask me, how can how has this affected us? It's caused me and every other man to doubt the goodness of our own masculine genius. I had this interview recently with an amazing pro-life woman who said, look, here's the deal. Men and women are different. Men 
tend to reason better. Women tend to understand emotions better. Because of that, men tend to be better at leading and making decisions. But if you say those words in most of our business places, we would be written up by HR for being a homophobe, what, like sexist, bigot, whatever, all the stuff, right? Yep. But there's a truth there. And we need to, as men, learn to accept that's true, even if the world denies it. But number two, learn how do we live that with humility. And it's, it's a two-edged thing, because I think what tends to happen with guys that I talk to, and even myself, is we'll catch a glimpse of this, what I call masculine genius. And we'll be like, wow, there are great things about having a Y chromosome. And it doesn't just have to be if I you know, fall into the LGBTQ stuff. I can be a straight, you know, heterosexual male and be proud of it. And then what happens is the devil's like, oh, great, you discovered the truth. Now I'll twist it and make it a source of pride for you. And so that's that's almost as dangerous as the first state, if not more so, because now you're stuck in pride. So humility, to step up and say, I understand the truth. I believe the truth. I'm going to act out the truth as best as I can, but to be humble. And what that means is maybe a coworker says, oh, uh, I'm considering doing this thing. And what do you think? You can say with a calm confidence, I don't believe that sex outside of marriage is right in any setting. And I believe marriage between a man and a woman. I love you. I'm still happy to you know, share a, a beer with you at the company barbecue, whatever. But if you're going to ask my opinion, that is what my opinion is. That's how I see the world. That's what I believe to be true. It, it, you don't have to smash people's face. You don't have to yell and argue and rage. That doesn't it win sure hearts would minds. feel good sometimes. <laughs> it does, but we have to understand why it feels good. That's so true. And thank you for pointing that out. That is so true. It feels good. But why does it feel good? Because it's not because we're, we're indulging in the destruction of the world ourselves. And I have a four-year-old boy. And if there's one thing my four-year-old boy loves to do, when his older sisters build these elaborate towers, he loves to come in and just smash them down. And he, he kind of you know, sometimes he'll take his little sword, right? And, you're like, and he smashes them all down. And boy, does that feel good. The sisters don't love it that much, though. And he's not winning their <laughs> hearts and minds in that moment, right? And so as a man, as a mature, responsible man, I can look at this with reason. And I can say, I know the truth. God tells me to love the people, not the deed, the people anyways. And that's, I think, a very powerful way to start to reclaim authentic masculinity without falling into the sin of pride. I think that's a very good response to what I said. Michael, final question, because to me, this is a big one. I observe modern men, particularly Catholic men, and I see the most immature generation I've ever seen. They dress like boys. They act like boys. Even at 40 years old, the majority of them are like adolescents in men's bodies. In short, they simply haven't grown up. In my opinion, that's why they can't or won't make a commitment to marriage. And those who do can't maintain those commitments. They make terrible fathers because they think they have to be a buddy instead of a parent. Perhaps the greatest outward sign that they've never grown up is that whether their marriage is shacked up, they don't know how to save money and manage their finances, and they have a mountain of debt. Now, my audience is 61% Catholic men between the ages of 18 and 34, so I know I just described a substantial number of them. What would be your best advice for them to learn how to grow up to become real, responsible men? This is a big question indeed. And let me start by saying, I want to show a little compassion to these guys. And I think 
in this moment, it's so easy to look at the situation and say, come on, guys, just grow up. It's not that hard. Take responsibility. Do the right thing. But the reality is they are where they are for a reason. And the first reason I think I need to highlight is why would they? What does the world offer them for going through the difficult pain? And it is painful. Let's call it what it is. It's hard work to sacrifice the parts of myself that are childish to become a man, to grow in maturity. Why would they do that? The world does not reward it. The world discourages it actively. Our culture penalizes men who start, and and sometimes brutally, who start to grow up and show maturity. And so let's just start off by saying there's a great deal of compassion in my heart for guys to whom that description might apply. However, that said, I don't think we are going to win the men of this generation by applying a bigger and bigger stick. I think the invitation I would like to make to these guys is to come up with what is the meaning and purpose of their life. We as Catholics are given a glimpse into the greatest purpose of all time. I look back and I think of the apostles right after Pentecost, right? And they rejoiced that they were allowed to join in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the word. And I have to tell you, that's hard for you to imagine myself doing, right? Like, I don't know that I could rejoice in being flogged and stoned and beaten and shipwrecked. And like Paul's litany that he, in a holy way, boasts of, I would struggle with that, right? Even, Even where I am now. But understand, they had a why. They had a purpose. They had a meaning. And I think what young men today are desperate for is a real deep meaning of what does it matter? And you can find that meaning. You can find that thing that connects your heart with the purpose God made it, not in the abdication of responsibility, not in pursuing alcohol, not in pursuing pornography, not in chasing every lady who walks across your path, but in finding the very heaviest load you can, picking it up, carrying it as far as you can, looking at that distance saying, wow, look at the good I was able to do. One of the words our Lord uses to describe himself is the word meek. And I love the word meek. It's a word that doesn't really get used much anymore. And here's where the word comes from. Let's say you take a wild stallion, the image of power, veer, strength. But is it useful? No, it's, it's, you, it fights the bit. It, you know, don't, won't pull this, won't pull the cart, whatever, right? To break the horse, to train the horse, to accept the guidance of the handler is the process of meeking the horse. A meeked horse, same stallion, same strength, same muscle mass, same intensity that is now meeked, pulls productively in a good direction. All of a sudden now the world changes because the farmer's carts, the farmer's crops that couldn't be brought to the starving family, that horse can pull them there. The important message that needs to be delivered, the good news can suddenly be delivered because the horse is meeked. And this is my invitation to all of you guys in the spot. Like, this isn't a this isn't about pleasure. This isn't about comfort. This is about you're going to hit your deathbed one day, and you're going to stand before those pearly gates, and you're going to look back at your life, and you're going to say, "Golly, I'm so glad I had sex with all those women. That really is what brought meaning and fulfillment to my life." <laughs> right? Like at the moment, yeah, it seems awesome, but think of the end game here. Have a vision. And once you do, once you gain a perspective that, golly, maybe I do want something more. I want my life to matter. Now the fun part comes. Go to our Lord in prayer. Say, Lord, you made this stuff here. I don't really even know what it's for right now, but I know that you made it for a reason. I know you made me. You chose me for this time, this place. You could have chosen any soul you wanted to you like to the, to the fertilized egg in my mother's womb, but you chose me as my soul. 
Why did you do that? What am I supposed to accomplish here? And that meaning found through aligning our will with the Father, through surrendering our will to God's, that is the essence of what makes life worthwhile. Every great man that I respect at some point in time came to the crossroads. Read their writings. It's so phenomenal. They come to the crossroads where they say, my gut, well, my flesh wants this, but God calls me to this other thing. Like St. Augustine, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. But when he does, when he finally surrenders to his will, he finds that meaning and that purpose that makes it all worthwhile. I hope maybe that's, is that a good answer? Yes, it is. In fact, one thing I think you were trying to say in your definition of manhood is that being a man, there's a lot of self-sacrifice involved. That's part of being a man. And of course, if you're going to be a good Catholic, that's necessary anyway. Mm-hmm. So, but one difference my, if I can't, between men and women, women don't have a choice about coming to their sacrifice, um, either in terms of their monthly courses or especially if they become pregnant. There is no doubt that a woman is required to suffer and sacrifice in very real ways for that child, right? As men, true. we have more of a choice. And this is really, really powerful because women are forced to mature based upon their biology in a way that we men can put off for decades and or even potentially for a lifetime. And so to understand that, yes, there oftentimes is a difference maturity between men and women, but there doesn't have to be. I think that's such an important distinction to make. That's very true. Michael, let me ask you, you, uh, are you currently open to accepting more men into your programs? Absolutely. I am. And so one of the things I will tell guys is look, there's a tremendous amount of suffering when you aren't on the path that God wants to be on, okay? And so it's just like Jonah. You can be like, God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, uh, I think I take the court boat that goes the other direction, right? And there's suffering involved with that. And so what I tell guys is, look, you can do it the long way. You can ride the whale out, enjoy the lovely inside of the whale smell, and let me know how that works for you. Or you can think of me like a guide there at the docks, and I'm like, Jonah, Nineveh's that way. No, I think we're going the other direction. Let's talk about that a little bit. And so I look at the coaching as just being an opportunity to be there and say, maybe we'll shortcut some of that suffering process. And I currently work with guys in a group setting. If you really want a serious shortcut and you're saying, hey, I want to get to Nineveh now, sounds rough, but I think that's where God's telling me to be. I work with guys one-on-one. Both are great options to go forward with. You can find all sorts of information about both programs on my website. Great. You know, you men listening, I want to tell you that Whenever it comes to psychologists or psychiatry, I've never been trusting of it because so many want to contradict church teaching and have a way of leading you away from the faith. I haven't been real big on the concept of life coaches either for the same reason, but I want to tell you, I've spent enough time speaking with Michael. I know that he's 100% orthodox. He will not guide you away from the faith. And I want to tell you, man, you're not too young and you're not too old to do this. Any man of any age, if you have questions about yourself or you're facing problems, or maybe you've got certain addictions, whether it's alcohol, drugs, sex, pornography, I don't care what it is. I think you ought to reach out to Michael. I believe in him and I endorse him. Michael, it's been really good to have you on the show this week. 
Will you come back and talk about some of these men issues at various times throughout the next year or two? Thank you so much, first off, for that kind endorsement. And I would be delighted to come back. I, as you may have guessed from listening to me, this is this is my favorite thing to do in the world. And it's so funny thinking about the engineer, Michael, working at a computer, analyzing the data, doing the processes, and that, Michael, to now. It's so different. But I tell you what, every time I get to talk about things, I light up. Like, this is, this is just so exciting for me. I'd love to come back. Yeah, but you know, I hear the engineer, Michael, in the life coach, Michael, every once in a while. <laughs> oh, he's there. He's there. We talk about that. I had this amazing boss when I worked at Intel, and he was a he was a Eastern Euro- European. And you'd go up to him, up to him, you say, "Okay, we well, don't see the problem anymore. We think it's fine." He'd look at you, and say, "Hmm, you haven't changed anything, and you expect a different result, huh?" And I still hear that voice in my head. And every so often, I'll have a client say to me, "Well." I haven't done anything different, but it seems like it went away. And Victor's voice go back. <laughs> so you haven't changed anything and you expect a different result. And that's my challenge to guys. If you're not changing something, you're going to get the same result. So try something. Amen. Different. Amen. Michael, thanks for being on the Cantankerous Catholic. I think we've about run our gambit on time. So God bless you. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Okay. God bless you. And thank you for all your ministry work. It is appreciated. Okay. Bye-bye, buddy. Bye-bye. Six-pack warriors approach me all the time with spiritual problems and addictions to things like sex and pornography. I offer them classic Catholic answers to their problems, but because I don't understand the prevailing culture as I should, I admit that what I tell them is like putting a Band-Aid on a bullet wound. Michael, on the other hand, understands the current culture and the problems men face in this culture. He has the experience and expertise to help Catholic men with their problems and to get on track living a genuine Catholic life and be the real men God intended them to be. So if you have any problem from pornography to any sort of addiction to wanting to be a good husband to marriage or parenting problems, reach out to Michael today. Just go to cantankerouscatholic.com, click on the title of this episode, then go to my show notes below the podcast player. You'll see the link to Michael Jake with there. Reach out to him. Everything's confidential. While you're in my show notes, you'll see the other links you need to check out. And don't forget to go to my swag page and get your Toxic Mail Month t-shirts and coffee mugs for both men and women. Finally, beneath my show notes, you'll see where you can comment on this episode. Please do so. I interact with commenters. Are you struggling to lose weight no matter how much you diet and exercise? Turns out it's not your fault. A 2022 study published in Nature Medicine of 52,000 women and men found just one factor in every overweight man and woman, low brown epidose tissue levels. They also found in skinny people high brown epidose tissue levels. Brown epidose tissue, also known as brown fat, isn't fat at all. It's not a fat store, but a fat shrinker. Its brown color comes from its densely packed mitochondria, which works 24-7 to burn calories from your fat stores and the foods you eat into pure natural energy. 
Even though the brown fat makes up a fraction of your weight, it can burn up to 300 times more calories than any other cell in your body. That's the reason they created Exapure. Exapure is unlike anything you've ever tried or experienced in your life. It's the only product in the world with a proprietary blend of eight exotic nutrients and plants designed to target low brown fat levels, the newly found root cause of your unexplained weight gain. Every tiny increase in brown fat means a huge jump in calorie and fat burning and energy levels. Want to lose weight and keep it off? Go to the show notes for this episode and click on the Exapure link to find out more. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was born in 1647 in France. It's Margaret Mary who was responsible for spreading devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. From a very early age, Margaret Mary wanted nothing more than to give her life to the service of God, so she entered the convent of the Visitation Sisters. This is where her love for the Blessed Sacrament became so strong she could only tear herself away from the Divine Presence with the greatest difficulty. She used to tell Jesus in the Most Blessed Sacrament that she wanted to be consumed with love for Him the way a candle is consumed by fire. Once while she was deep in prayer before the tabernacle, our Lord appeared to Margaret Mary. He showed himself to her in all his glory with his five wounds shining like brilliant suns and his sacred heart like a furnace of fire. He told her how much he loves all mankind and how he's hurt by the ingratitude they show him by forgetting him. Jesus appeared to Margaret Mary two more times in 1675. On the last occasion, he said, Behold this heart that has loved men so much that it has spared nothing to testify to them its love, and in return I receive from most of them only ingratitude by their irreverences and their sacrileges and by the coldness and contempt they have for me in the sacrament of love. One of the devotions our Lord taught to St. Margaret Mary was the holy hour of reparation. Jesus, in his agony in the garden, went over to his apostles, Peter, James, and John, to seek a little consolation from them, but he found them asleep. He said to them, What? Could you not watch one hour with me? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. In memory of this, Jesus asked St. Margaret Mary to honor his most sacred heart by rising every Thursday night at 11 o'clock and prostrating herself for an hour before him in the Blessed Sacrament. During that hour, she was to beg God's mercy for poor sinners and try to sweeten the bitter pain he felt when his apostles slept during his agony in the Garden of Olives. 
Among the ten promises our Lord made to St. Margaret Mary is one called the Great Promise. I promise you in the excessive mercy of my heart that my all-powerful love will grant to all those who go to Holy Communion on the first Friday of nine consecutive months the grace of final penitence. They shall not die in my disfavor nor without receiving their sacraments. My divine heart shall be their safe refuge in this last moment. If we were to compare the 7th century to today, I seriously doubt anyone would attempt to make an argument that we're more devout in our practice of our faith than Catholics were then. The world has intentionally walked into an abyss of moral muck and slime, especially over the last 70 years. That'll lead far more of us into the pains of hell than into the heaven with Jesus. Yet notice what Jesus said to the people of Margaret Mary's time. He said he receives from most of them only in gratitude by their irreverences and their sacrileges by the coldness and contempt they have for me in the sacrament of love. I recall the thought I gave to these words the first time I read them. I actually had a shiver down my spine and a queasiness in the pit of my stomach. Back in St. Margaret Mary's day, confession lines were long every week because unlike 21st century people, they still had a sense of sin. If the people of Margaret Mary's day were more fervent and devout than we are today, and Jesus complained of all the ingratitude, irreverences, sacrileges, and contempt for him in the Eucharist, then how we must disgust him today. Pope Pius XII told us that modern people have lost their sense of sin, something he saw behind the evils of the Second World War, and things have only grown worse since then. Pius XII was absolutely right about our loss of a sense of sin. We no longer live in the United States of America, but rather the United States of the offended. And we no longer preach from the books of the Bible, but rather from the book of political correctness. If Jesus was offended 400 years ago by ingratitude, how does he view us today? He complained of the irreverences and sacrileges and coldness and contempt we have for him in the Most Holy Eucharist. Six-pack warriors, any honest person who knows and understands that Jesus is really and truly present in the Eucharist must acknowledge that we're the most ungrateful, irreverent, sacrilegious, and contemptuous generation of Catholics in the history of the Church. We make excuses and justifications for our sins, then go to communion anyway. While at church, we talk to one another before Mass, distracting the few others who are trying to prepare worthily for Mass, showing our irreverence for him. We show him our irreverence and ingratitude by attending Mass dressed with an immodesty that gravely violates the Sixth Commandment. We show him our contempt and commit sacrileges by receiving him in communion while steeped in mortal sin. Many people show their ingratitude, irreverence, coldness, and contempt for Jesus by receiving communion then immediately walking out of Mass to go home. Friends, if that applies to you, when you leave Sunday or the vigil Mass after communion, you not only fail to meet your Sunday obligation, which is a mortal sin, but you commit the additional mortal sin of sacrilege. 
Mass isn't over until the final blessing. Wake up, friends. Jesus warned us to pay attention to the times and events around us while he was still on earth. Look around you. Anyone who denies the existence of a growing persecution against Christians in the world, even here in America, is living with his head in the sand. In less developed nations of the world, they've been killing us, more Catholics than anyone, for several decades. About the time our enemies began making martyrs of us in other countries is when the persecution of Christians began in our own. Do you really think the time won't come when they begin killing us here? If you believe it won't come to martyrdom for us here, I pity you in your blindness. Through St. Margaret Mary, Jesus gave us a dire warning, but he also gave us a remedy to what's coming. However, in order to take advantage of the remedy he's given us, there are certain things we must do first. We must commit ourselves to learning, understanding, and living our Catholic faith. Don't tell me you know the faith just because you went to Catholic school or you've been a Catholic all your life. If those were valid arguments, you couldn't have gotten this far in these boot camps without realizing you've been ignorant of the faith all your life. I know from the things I hear and the responses I get on my websites that you've been learning things you never previously knew, and all I've talked about thus far is only the most basic tenets of the faith, things Catholic 8th graders learned 80 years ago. We also need to re-examine the way we live, form a right conscience, have recourse to frequent confession, and commit ourselves to devout prayer and living life for Jesus Christ rather than the distractions offered by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The only way we can survive what's coming is to get serious about our holy and ancient faith. If I'm wrong about the persecution growing worse and worse, the very least you'll have done by taking this advice is assure yourself of a heavenly reward and become much happier in this life. If you want a life of total freedom, and I mean total freedom, to go where you want, live where you want without money worries, there's one skill that can give it to you. It's a skill so desired, so in demand, you could have an endless flow of money coming into your bank account every month and never leave your house. What kind of money am I talking about? Does six figures sound good to you? That's what some people who've discovered and mastered this skill are making without breaking a sweat. As for learning this skill, almost anybody can do it. It's a special kind of skill that once you've mastered it, it gives you the opportunity not only to earn as much money as you need, but from anywhere in the world for the rest of your life. I'll be brutally honest. There's simply no other way to gain total freedom and independence than learning a skill that rewards you tenfold. Just click the link in my show notes that says, here's your ticket to the good life to learn all about it. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. 
This week's Catholic quote is from St. Ignatius of Loyola. He said, If God sends you many sufferings, it's a sign that he has great plans for you and certainly wants to make you a saint. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. A French servant girl named Anne waited on her sickly old mistress for many years. The ailing rich old lady once told her about the large amounts of money and property she was leaving to family and friends in her will, but there was no mention of Anne in her will. Shortly before the old lady died, she gave Anne an old painted plaster crucifix and said, Anne, this is the gift I give you in appreciation for everything you've done for me over the years. Anne thanked her mistress, but there was bitterness in her heart. Only a crucifix, she thought. Anne hung the crucifix over her bed and prayed before it every night, but couldn't help feeling bitter. One night she said to herself, I've been faithful to my mistress all these years, and all I get is an old crucifix. Everyone else who never even came to see her or cared about her is going to get large sums of money. There's nothing just about that. Don't I deserve more for all my labor and patience with this woman? In a fit of rage and resentment, Anne took the crucifix from the wall and smashed it to the floor. Angrily, she shouted, I don't want your gift, Mrs. Wallace. There's your old crucifix at my feet in a thousand pieces. As she looked at the shattered crucifix on the floor, Anne noticed something else. Among the broken pieces of the crucifix lay a large quantity of diamonds, real diamonds. She fell to her knees to look at them. Tears filled her eyes. Good God, she cried, burying her face in her hands. Good God, have mercy on me. Forgive me for being so selfish and ungrateful. Anne ran from her room to apologize to her mistress. She knocked on the door to her bedroom, but there was no answer. She went in, came close to the bed, and found her mistress lying in the bed dead. Besides being in a state of grace, saying prayers and performing good works to gain an indulgence, you can also obtain the remission of temporal punishments by accepting your sufferings patiently. In this sense, your cross is like an indulgence. You may want to mock God at times for sending you a cross in spite of your faithfulness, but if you think it over, you'll see the very cross he sends you can be a treasure. It may have priceless riches of grace, which are far more precious than material things, graces that'll make you happy and save your soul. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.